Grace to you and peace from God our Father and from the risen one, Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. In the countryside west of the Ukrainian city of Kyiv, there is a little village called Anatevka, which curiously is only about seven years old, but it was named after the fictional village made popular in the long-running Broadway musical Fiddler on the Roof. In the musical, uh, Anatevka is a place from which uh, Russian Jews ultimately had to flee the oppression of the Tsar in order to find refuge in places all around the world. The real-life Anatevka is actually a place to which Ukrainian Jews flee from other places where it is not safe for them to be. In the musical, uh, the main character, Tevya, asks his uh, wife, Golda, a question, and the question is, do you love me? Uh, in the real-life story of John chapter 21, uh, the risen Christ asks that same question of Peter, the fisherman, the head of his ministry team, do you love me? In the fictional story, uh, Golda replies that in spite of their arranged marriage, she does in fact love him, uh, citing in song that for 25 years I've lived with him, uh, fought with him, starved with him, for 25 years my bed is his. If that's not love, what is? And so she loves him. And uh, he says that's nice to know, although by the end of the song they agree with each other that it really doesn't change anything because they have demonstrated their love for each other for 25 years. In the real life story of John chapter 21, uh, Jesus' very different relationship with Peter has gone on for just a little bit more than three years. And his answer to that question would change everything including the trajectory of his life and the, and the history of his world, given the fact that even though that's kind of a grandiose statement, uh, Peter's relationship with Jesus was, if you'll pardon the expression, a little rocky, to say the very least. And so on one hand, uh, today we have before us the story of a, a bold, courageous, risk-taking leader in the mission of Christ who is not afraid to stand up and confess his faith that Jesus is the Messiah, he is the Christ, which earns him uh, the nickname Petros, or Peter, in Matthew chapter 16 at a place called Caesarea Philippi. This is the guy who leaves his whole life behind, including his fishing business, in order to follow Jesus, who when others start to bail out on Jesus in John chapter 6, stands apart from the crowd and says famously, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. On the other hand, this is the one who is a notoriously impulsive overreactor who takes action before he thinks, who gets ahead of his skis, who gets it wrong far more often than he ever gets it right. Uh, like the time when he actually thought that he could walk on water with Jesus, and uh, then when he takes his focus off of Jesus and puts it back onto himself, he begins to go down. Or when he thinks it's a good idea to build those three dwelling places on the mountaintop at the Transfiguration, only to realize that while it might be his big idea, it isn't remotely God's idea. 
or when he thinks that he actually has it figured out with respect to the number of times forgiveness ought to be extended to another person. And Jesus says to him, no, it's really even more than you think. And then there was that low point in his real life story when Peter thinks that uh, he has the plans of Jesus figured out better than Jesus himself does, which earns him another nickname when Jesus calls him Satan. I think you got to mess up pretty good to be called Satan by Jesus. And then there's that night in the garden when Jesus was arrested and Peter commits this act of violence against the servant of the high priest, which earns him yet another rebuke on the part of Jesus. And then comes, you know, the lowest of all the low points later that night when Jesus is back in Jerusalem being interrogated at the palace of the high priest. And Peter is outside in the courtyard around a charcoal fire. And he denies even knowing Jesus at all, using words like, I don't know that man. I don't know what you're talking about. Here is the guy who confesses that Jesus is the Christ, now denying, disowning Jesus altogether. Here's the guy who earlier that same evening says to Jesus, you know, these other guys may run, they may leave you, but I will never leave you. Denying knowing Jesus at all and doing it on three different occasions before the rooster would crow that following morning the result of which is according to the scriptures that Jesus uh, uh, gets to Peter. Peter is caught up in his regret, in his remorse, in his guilt, in his shame, and he goes out and he weeps bitterly. And so you can begin to understand why even though the resurrection has happened in the real life story of John chapter 21, that nevertheless, Peter is still, he's a broken man. I mean, he's just racked with his guilt, racked with his shame and regret over his denials and over all of the other ways that he got it wrong, that he failed Jesus over the course of their years together in life and in ministry. And and you can begin to understand why Jesus, in the aftermath of the resurrection, would ask Peter that question, not once or twice, but three times. Do you love me? To which I would probably have added the words because, you know, if you do, you got a weird way of showing it. Good thing I'm not Jesus. But Jesus himself uh, adds a lot of impact and punch to that question, and he does it a number of ways. For one thing, he poses the question on the beach at the very same body of water where he called those guys to follow him in the first place. He's taken them back in time. And he does it according to an earlier verse in John 21 around a charcoal fire, which may have just set off a trigger for Peter, given the fact that last time we hear about a charcoal fire was back in the courtyard of the high priest in Jerusalem where those denials actually took place. And so, Jesus takes Peter back to the beginning of his ministry. He takes Peter back to the scene of the crime, and he calls the question. And it's kind of easy to miss, uh, but you may notice there that when he does, Jesus drops the nickname. He doesn't call him Petros anymore. 
He uses his old name because Peter is acting like his old self. And he says to him, Simon Bar-Jonas, in other words, Simon, son of John or son of Jonas. It's kind of like when your mother called you by your whole name. You know, when something was wrong, you did something wrong. You know, Nicholas Obed. (laughs) And then he calls the question three times, or actually in English it sounds like one question three times over. Do you love me? Now, don't misunderstand this passage because the fact of the matter is that the purpose of Jesus here is not really to shame Peter beyond what he's already clearly ashamed of. This passage, on the contrary, is actually about the reinstatement of Peter. It's about the restoration of Peter. And there are two aspects to this passage that I think are very important for us to understand. And one has to do with the fact that, as I've pointed out to you many times before, uh, there are actually uh, four different words in the Greek New Testament for the one English word, love. And two of those words are in play in this passage today. One is the word agape, or a form of agape, agapao, which uh, is love in its highest, holiest, greatest, deepest form. This is pure love. It's sacrificial love, holy love. It's God's love. And when Jesus asks Peter that question, do you love me? That's the word he uses. And when Peter answers that question, as you heard, and says, you know that I love you, that is not the word he uses. He drops down a level. And he doesn't say agape. He says phileo, or a form of that word, phileo, meaning brotherly love. The city of Philadelphia is the city of brotherly love. If you have ever had a brother, you know that the love is real, but it's not always very pure. And so Jesus says, do you agape me? And Peter answers, I phileo you. And so Jesus asks the question a second time, Simon, do you agape me? But Peter will not change his answer. He answers again. He says, you know, I love you. And again, he says, I phileo you. Well, what's going on here? What's going on here is that for all the times this guy got it wrong, he finally got it right. And he will not represent himself as bearing the kind of love with which Jesus has loved him all the way to the cross and out of that empty tomb. He will not represent himself that way, and so he says, I phileo you. I love you, but I'm never going to love you like you love me. And so Jesus asks the question a third time, and this time, the third time, Jesus changes the question, or at least the word, and he says to him, do you phileo me? And Peter answers, you know that I phileo you. For all the times he overestimated his faith, he got ahead of his skis, he got it wrong. Peter finally gets it right. He loves Jesus. 
but he knows that Jesus loves him purely, perfectly, sacrificially, in a way that would change his real life story forever. And so Jesus' question and Peter's answer finally match up in the end. Whole thing gets lost in English. And yet uh, there's even something else uh, that I think is even more important that's going on in the passage that, that really can drive this whole thing even deeper into your heart. And it has to do with the fact that those three questions of Jesus just happen to correspond with the three times Peter denies even knowing Jesus at all. Three times in John 18, Peter disowns Jesus Christ. Three times in John 21, Jesus tells him, feed my sheep, feed my lambs, tend to my flock, feed my sheep. Don't go back to the fishing business in Galilee. Stay in your ministry because you know what, Simon, son of John, every single thing that you have ever done, all the things that you got wrong, including all those denials in the courtyard of the high priest, all of that has been forgiven and you and I are completely restored so that you can go out and have this brand new beginning and live this whole new life. This is about the restoration and the reinstatement and the recommissioning of a deeply flawed human being. This passage was read on the day of my ordination. This passage from John 21 was read on the day I was installed as your pastor 25 years ago. It was read on the day that Pastor Nick was installed as your pastor less than three years ago. This passage is being read today because it's not just for the ordained. This one's for all of us. It's for all the children of God. And what it ultimately really tells you is that no matter who you are, no matter how often you got it wrong in your life, that your place in the mission of Jesus, your place in the family of God, your place in the church for which he gave his whole life is not based on, you know, what good little boys and girls we've been or how many letters we've got in front of or, or behind our names. Friends, we are here today because of the enormity of his love for us and the conquering power of his cross and the glory of his empty tomb. That is why we're here. And that is why, as we heard two weeks ago, the real life story of Easter changes everything. And so today, the question's getting called again in John 21. Do you love him? Do you? Do you love him? Because the fact of the matter is that, you know, you serve the one you love. You follow the one you love. You sacrifice for the, for the thing or the, or the person you love. You, you go to the house of the one you love. You eat the food at the table of the one you love. This is not very hard to figure out. And I will tell you, right here, right now, my answer is, I do. I love him. And I got it wrong way more often than I ever got it right. Even times when I acted like I didn't even know him. But here we are, around the words of absolution. Here we are today again, 
for our reinstatement, for our recommissioning, for our reminder and call that what puts us into the family of God is the enormity of Easter and of its power so that we can respond to the greater love of Christ by loving him back, though it may be imperfectly, and doing it by feeding this world with the glory of Easter and its power to change everything. Look what happened to Simon Peter. After all the water that flowed under the bridge, this is the guy who ends up preaching on the day of Pentecost when the Spirit came down and 3,000 people were baptized and the church was born. This is the guy who crosses the threshold into the Gentile world, baptizes an Italian Roman soldier of all people, and thereby takes the message of Jesus across the threshold out of the house of Israel and on into the rest of the world. This is the guy who has to go back to Jerusalem and defend this unheard of, unthinkable action to the leadership there and does it successfully so that they finally receive this good news with great joy. That Jesus Christ is for every person of every nation all around the world. And this is the guy who the next time his life was on the line and the time after that and the time after that will never deny Jesus Christ again. And so I thank God for Simon Peter, the fisherman, who was quite the project. I thank God that his story is my story, and it's your story, too. I thank God for the one to whom we can always flee for refuge, no matter who we are, where we are, or what we're going through in this broken world, and there to enjoy his perfect, pure, everlasting, sacrificial love. And I give thanks to God for all of those who down through the corridors of time have loved him right back, not always perfectly, but enough to feed this unruly sheep and to help me, and I pray you to know that everything is forgiven, everything is restored. You have a place in the mission, in the church, in the family of the risen Christ, which will live together here on earth and someday in the resurrection for all eternity. God bless you and give you a great third week of Easter. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, amen. <laughs>